0: Okay, so let's get something straight. I have not read that book. Uh, it's on my nightstand. I plan to get to it uh you know this year. Now that explains when you bought the book, uh, Jeff Bezos called me up. He said, "Hey, one somebody ordered one of your books." What's what's up with that? And so, you know, uh I think that book sold 12 and uh we're we're climbing. No, no, it's uh I'm delighted to be here uh Greg has spoke has really filled me in on you. Uh, your future is so bright, uh, and I look forward to talking about that in a corporate sense this afternoon, about some of the stuff and the ways that you're already positioning yourself to partner more effectively with God in, in the main work that he's doing. But this morning, I just want to talk about you, and uh, so that, you know, uh, we can be frustrated about the corporate uh, church's institution, but I want to spend my time talking about church's movement, and that's you, how the church interfaces with folks uh, every day, and and everywhere you are, the church is. And so I want to try to bring that into our discussion this morning. Now, I wasn't counting on that long introduction, but fortunately, the clock skipped forward, so I've got like an hour and a half. Uh, (laughs) You know, I woke up thinking about lunch, and... um, And the cool—that's the the, the only coolest thing about the clock moving forward—is I'm an hour closer to lunch than I would have been. Uh, So, you're—you just relax. We're going to get out in plenty of time. Um, I want to—I want to go to probably the, the the core of the Christian message that Jesus gave. We call it the Great Commandment. Now, in our culture, we get a lot of of, store, of, of instructions all the time. Go ahead, Cindy, and hit that button. I mean, you, you see all this kind of stuff all the time. I mean, really. I mean, like, you know, Chick-fil-A, the national bird down there, and, and then uh, uh, the Brits, you know. How about that one? Drink eight glasses of water a day. I mean, who could do that and keep a job? Uh, you know, uh <laughs> I mean, you, you'd at least have to move the office, you know. I mean, what is that all about? A, but so our culture is just riding down the escalator yesterday at Atlanta Airport. There were at least 13 different commands on the way down. You know, don't do handstands on the uh, escalator. You know, don't don't rob people on the escalator. I mean, just all this kind of stuff. We're, we're get, but when God gives us uh, like a command, which is a word that's kind of gone out of vogue, when God tells us to do something, it's for our own good. I mean, he said, if you'll do this, you'll really live. And I want to talk to you today about the great commandment, as we call it, and it's going to help us get a kingdom life. And by that, I mean a life that's fully immersed in what God is primarily engaged in. There's a reason Jesus said, "Look, for, seek first the kingdom of God. And so I, I kind of hope that we'll leave here today with a, a little better way you'll leave here with a, a little better sense of how do i get on board with that it's not something out there that i can't quite discover it is so practical it is just right down here so let's go to a scripture that uh talks about you can skip through that yeah and and um and see where the context of this great command arose so jesus was talking but an expert religious law stood up to test him by asking this question teacher What should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I want to stop right there because I grew up in church and I was told that that eternal life meant life after this life. I didn't get that. That is not what that means at all. This is not about a quantity of life that picks up when this day is over. It's about a quality of life that starts right here. I mean, the eternal life, and what this guy is really saying is, how do I get a life? a life that's really rich and robust, the life that God intended. So Jesus goes ahead to answer him. He said, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? How do you read it? And how would you read it if it advanced one more slide? Uh, Now Cindy, get off your smoke break. Pay attention to what's going on up here. All right, so... At that time should not count against my overall time. <laughs> all right. So, so the man answered, you must, hear, you've, perhaps you've heard this. This is, this is actually called the great Shema of Israel. This was, their, there was this, their religious statement to the world from the Old Testament times. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbors yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you'll live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, well, and who's my neighbor? So Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, was attacked by bandits, stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road, passed him by. I mean, he had to get to church. A temple assistant, get this one. A temple assistant, you know, like Josiah. Uh, You know, um, even walked over, looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. I got announcements to make. Then a despised Samaritan came along, a non-church person. It's fascinating. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him, Next day, he handed the innkeeper his American Express saying, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, Well, the one who showed him mercy. So Jesus said, Yes. Now go and think about this. Go and have a study group around this. Go and think about why this won't work for you. Now, what does he say? Go and do. Go and do. You know, when you really think about that story, nobody gets any help in that story until somebody gets off their donkey. Now, if I have to explain this to you, this is going to take a long time this morning. <laughs> Maybe I should use King James language so you kind of get the drift of it. I mean, you've got two folks that are so wrapped up in stuff religious stuff that they don't have time to be helpful, and the one the hero of the story is someone who's not even connected. To the religion that Jesus is talking to. And he winds up doing the work of God in the story. And so how do we go into and, and, and really what Jesus is saying in a roundabout way is that, you know, doing good for other people is actually good for you. You want a real life? Then be a neighbor. Be a good neighbor. Be someone who's helpful to somebody. And so I want to give you Um, some things to think about as you think about bringing your best self to serving other people. And the good news is that serving other people is also going to help you become your best self. See, it's all wrapped up, and that's that's the way the kingdom works. And so uh, I've got 76 questions that I want to go through uh, just quickly. Or I think your bulletin has five, so I'll reduce it uh, down to those. And so five questions you might want to think about as you think about how do I position myself to be, uh, to help other people and get a life in the process. Send you rock and roll with that first one. What do I want to do to help others? Okay. That's kind of like the overall question anyway. Uh, and, and, but, but I tell you, I have folks all the time that say, you know, I know I'm supposed to be helping other folks. I, I just don't know what to do. Now, there are a couple of clues I would give you to that. I mean, uh, first of all, I would pay attention to the stuff that gets you excited, that when other people bring it up, you know, or maybe and then they're ready to go on to some other topic, your heart beats a little faster. You say, you know, I want to talk about that a little more. Or you stay up at night thinking about it, or you wake up early. That thing just grabs you. Uh, and, and it doesn't do the same thing for everybody else. Pay attention to that. That is a really important clue that God may have given you because we're not all called to help the same people the same way. We have, we, we've got a bunch to do. So what what really grabs your attention? I will tell you that I'm, I'm thinking about uh, Jenny Christen, a friend of mine, who moved from Alabama out to Sacramento, Central Valley, California, discovered some about a dozen years ago the huge uh, sex trafficking, human trafficking that was going on long before it was on national news and, and, and we were making a big deal about it. Jenny went up to the state house there in Sacramento, knocked on the door and said, I want to help with whatever we're doing to, uh, to reduce human trafficking. They said, great, you're in charge. She said, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, I just said I would help somebody. I said, look at that big old long line behind you. There ain't nobody else banging on the door asking. So Jenny started a, a, a journey. I remember when I went out to uh, speak for her, she'd convened over 1,500 people, law enforcement, health care workers, social workers, um, uh, even contractors, because what Jenny discovered in her process, you see, this grabbed her. So she pursued that interest. That's the point. But what she discovered is that a lot of these these women are caught in a, particularly in sex drive. They have nowhere to go. There's nowhere safe for them. So she has started building courage houses. She's now building them around the world. And she had contractors at that meeting that were helping her figure out how to build these houses so girls and their, their, their children uh, young kids could come. They have to scrub their identities. They have to start all over. I mean, in, in, in these courage houses, the courage to start over again, you know, is, is, is something that's now in South Africa. It's in several other countries in Africa. It's going worldwide all because Jenny paid attention to something that grabbed her interest. I don't know if that may not do a thing for you. That's not the point. But something probably does. Or it could be something that not just makes you excited. It could be something that breaks your heart. I mean it may be just the other thing when you hear about it you get really distraught I'm thinking about uh Suna, Suna Anderson's a friend from Denmark he he uh, came I brought him over to speak to a group of pastors and he talked about moving his family uh, he is in a college town Aarhus uh, uh, in the uh, third largest city in Denmark and uh, a college town of about maybe 350,000 people and he moved his family into one of the uh, inner core apartment complexes out of the suburbs uh, to to really be a missionary family into this high-rise and uh, it's part of their church strategy that's what they're doing and folks are moving to different parts of the city uh, and acting like missionaries uh, right there in their own uh, city not having to go across you know the the pond or wherever and so uh, first night and he moved his family right on the bottom floor right next to the elevator uh, kind of where they wanted to put me at the Hampton Inn last night. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I talked my way out of it. Um, I didn't get along with the people in that room anyway. And so, um, so I, um, uh, first night, about 10 o'clock, music starts up. Boom, 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 you know, subwoofer coming through the walls. You can feel it more than hear it. And, um, and he says, oh, my gosh, what have I done? You know, I had a, I had a the next day, he gets his wife and child, goes next door, about 3 o'clock, when his son comes home from school, and he says, "Hey, we're the Andersons. We just moved in. Um, if you're free for dinner tonight, we'd like to have uh, have you over so we can get to know you." And um, and the guy said, "Well, yeah, okay." And he said, and soon said, "Oh, well, and, and by the way, uh, last night—I mean, it's our first night here. There's music that started up around ten. You know, my son goes to school. Is, is that something that goes on every night? You know, not sure where it's coming from." And the guy said, "Oh man, it's my bad. I'm sorry. Got it. Won't won't happen." It uh, won't happen again. Um, so anyway, he comes to dinner. Suna says he starts telling, this guy starts telling his story. By age five, abused everyone, physically, sexually, abandoned by his parents. Basically, he's raised on the street by gangs. Becomes a druggie and then a dealer. And uh, Suna says, as I listen to this guy's story, now, this is really important to me, he said, my heart broke for him. And he moved from being a problem to being a person. Now, when our heart breaks, I think that's a clue that that might be something we're supposed to tune up and and gear up and and work with God to to help out somehow. And Suna told me the rest of the story of how he engaged. I don't have enough time for that. But he followed his broken heart. Now, sometimes when I'm doing workshops, I'll have people speak to each other and say, what breaks your heart? I was in um, California, actually, uh, and uh, took a break to do that, folks to talk. And uh, an elderly woman approached me. She was sitting kind of about where you are. And uh, she says, you know what breaks my heart? And I leaned over thinking, boy, I'm fixing here the wisdom of, you know, multiple decades of, of, you know, she said, what breaks my heart is nothing breaks my heart. She says, I realize I live in a rut. I live in a bubble. Everybody I know is taken care of. I go to, I follow the same path. I'm not touched at all by the human need that's around me. Well, you know, to her credit, that was an admission that was going to help. That kind of transparency and vulnerability was going to start her on a road because she could no longer stick her head in the sand and not pay attention to what was going on around her. And that's what she said. So, I want to ask you what breaks your heart or what gets you excited? Those are clues now you know when you're when you 're teenagers and young and I, I i'm how old are you seventeen 17, okay, and how old are you nineteen, 19. now when you 're seventeen nineteen, I worship leaders or teenagers you know i don 't expect you to have enough life experience yet to know exactly what it is you want to do to help other people that 's why it 's important to get involved in a whole bunch of different things, just, just so that God can infect you somewhere in this stuff. But I run into people, the sad thing is when I run into folks in their 50s and 60s and they still don't know what contribution they want to make. I would take this question seriously. I wouldn't eat lunch. I wouldn't do anything. I wouldn't leave here until I figured this question out. And Greg will stay here with you while I go to lunch. All right. There's a second question that I think will, will help. Uh, as, as we uh, help us figure out how to bring our best selves to serving other people, what behaviors will support the help I want to give? Now, let me tell you why this is critical. Because if we don't make the necessary adjustments, whether that's time or, or uh, you know, typ- typically how we spend our lives, money, time, however, so that we can be available to that dream that God gives us about helping other folks, that dream is going to turn into a nightmare and it's going to haunt you. Uh, you, you, you just Just as you think, how will I help other people, what do I want to do? think about what do I need to make room for in my life so that can happen uh, Josh is a, a guy that I met when my two daughters were in college and at uh, Kathy and I helped start a college church in our town and so um, we met Josh, he was new to the faith. And uh, I just fell in love with this kid. I mean, he just had the heart of God. When, when, he, when, he, when G, he didn't download Jesus like an app. I mean, he went serious with, you know, becoming a Jesus follower. And, uh, and his life was so compelling, I just kept up with him. And so his journey one day he told me, he said, you know, uh, Reggie, we were having coffee. He said, I, I just have a, uh, my heart just is burdened for young African-American boys that have no positive male influence in their lives. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Josh is lily white, blue-eyed. There's no, I mean, there's, there's nothing in his background that would set him up for that. It's just a God-sized call on his life. He actually asked the Columbia Police Department, where I live, what's the worst part of town, where are the most homicides? And he went to that part of town, and he started hanging out at an apartment complex that uh, owned by slumlord that doesn't even live there, and the tenants in terrible shape. Uh, and it took him. And I know this sounds a little creepy, but uh, to hanging out. I mean, it took him two years to convince the people he wasn't a narc. But he got to know the moms. He started conversations with them, uh, waiting for the kids to come up. I, I just got to give you the highlights. So the first thing he did, like after building relationships and getting a little bit, he uh, he impressed the slumlord to give him an apartment free. Actually, two apartments. He got some of his friends, knocked down a wall between, created a space in that apartment complex. And the first thing he did is he started a Sunday school on Sunday night for these kids in the apartment. He had like 19 kids show up day one. And he had three of his friends help him do this thing. I mean, it's a, well, then he, after a while, he began to just notice. And as he got to know the kids, he knew they needed help with a lot of stuff, particularly at school. So he started after school in that space doing an after school program. I got I to race forward on this. Uh, let me just tell you today. Well, about, about three years in, we had another cup of coffee. And he says, Reggie, I can't do, I can't, th- these kids need so much help. He said, I can't do my job. He was a marketing manager for a sign company. He said, I can't do my job and get this thing off the ground that I really think is important, uh, a real robust after-school program. And, um, and he said, um, I need to quit my job, I think. I said, well, Josh, what are you going to do for... Uh, if you do, how are you going to feed yourself? I mean, this is, now, this is a guy in his 20s. We're not talking about someone that's stacked it back and, you know, can live off the fat of the land. I mean, this guy. So he said, well, I've talked to my boss, and I told him that I need to quit to do this. And my boss is a Jesus follower, and he's told me, you know, Josh, you need to start a 501c3 and let people support the work that you're doing. He says, and I'm going to make the first contribution." and And of course, you can imagine who the second contributor was. Uh, that's why Josh wanted to have coffee that day. so um, And I've been buying him coffee ever since. So um Josh, he now I, there are over forty kids every afternoon now that come. He has three uh four full-time teachers. He's now had his first kid that's gone through... I mean, I could tell you so many great... First kid that's gone through who's now going back to help these kids, uh, who's gone on to college. Uh, They just won Ezekiel Ministry. You can look it up and you'll probably want to give to it also. Um, Ezekiel Ministry just won a $75,000 grant from Chick-fil-A for being one of the best charities in the southeast part of the country. Now, all of that happened... Y'all have rats in here, or what? <laughs> I don't know if people are moving around back there. Look, I'm, I, can I? Do y'all mind if I come out there? Uh, <laughs> sounding kind of scary up here. So um, anyway, so uh, you know, now what if now I'm not telling everybody in here that you need to quit your job, and I haven't quit mine. You know, uh, and, and and so, but but Josh was willing to make the step. To create the space in his life so God could do what He called him to do. Now it may not be giving your job up. Uh, It may be as simple as creating an hour uh, a a week that you're available to, you know, to read to a kid or or to tutor. Would you go back there and fix that? Uh, You know, what do y'all think y'all are up here for? I mean, no, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. It's moving. All right, so. so a third, a third question might, for you to consider. I want to hurry and get over with this. Is, you know, you, you want to ask yourself not just what behaviors do you need, to but what do you bring to the table? I love a food analogy. Um, and what I'm talking about here is what you're going to be just doing in your step two, is it you call it, for growth this afternoon? Free hot lunch, hot dog. I'm staying for that. You know, I'll I'll be in there growing. All right, anyway, so (laughs) appropriate connection there. So, you know, and y'all look at me, and you think I just, look, I've lost over 3,000 pounds in my life, so (laughs) don't judge me. All right, um, so um, (laughs) what was I talking about? Um, I'm talking here about what you bring in terms of your gifts, your talent. Your um, your strengths, and um, I I can tell you, I grew up in a world where uh, most of the time when we talked about personal development, it was about fixing what's wrong with you. And what we've come to understand, and a a friend of mine who who developed StrengthsFinder, uh, Don Clifton, is chairman. You know, I use that with all my clients and stuff. It's really Don used to say your best shot at making your best contribution is for you to get better at what you're already good at. See, God's put some stuff in your backpack for the trip because, you see, God intends for your life to be a mission trip. We don't go on mission trips anymore. I mean, if we're Jesus followers, our whole life's a mission trip. And wouldn't it be just like God to give you what you need for the journey that he's calling you to make? So I tell people all the time, let's just open your backpack and see what's in there so we'll know what kind of trip we need to plan for you. I mean, I know some people that are trying to do mountain treks, but they're all their gear is for the desert. And then they wonder why they're frustrated. Now, I'll tell you when this really came home to me. I, I, uh, Kathy and I have been married 37 years. My first year of marriage, I was still a graduate student. I came home from some work in Dallas. And we lived in Kaufman, Texas, which is about 35 miles south. It's the armpit of East Texas. And um, there's only one pretty view, Kaufman. That's in your rearview mirror. Um, and uh, and and but I was there and I was serving in church and we and we lived a block off the square. It was our first year, you know. It was Camelot in this little duplex across from the funeral home. And um, and so I got home uh, from school and Kathy said, um, "I want to go see this new movie that's out." And I said, "What's that?" She said, Chair, it's of Fire." Now I had no idea what chairs If I sound like a science fiction flick to me, but you know, hey, Kathy, want to go see it? We're going to go. So we we, we walk up to the theater there, buy our freshmen, go down and sit down in the theater, and I assume my usual position there, my feet thrown over the uh, the seat in front, of me. not because I'm disrespectful to the furniture, but because in that old theater on that square. When the lights went down, all kinds of stuff came out roaming around uh, underneath. I mean, you know, in fact, you didn't get refreshments there for you. That was to feed the stuff that was roaming around just to try to keep them off of you. I mean, there were skeletons in some of the uh, chairs, people that ran out of refreshment before the movie was over. Um, I mean, you know, you just make that mistake only one time. So anyway, so I'm, I'm there and I'm, you know, throwing stuff around. And, and of course, if you know the movie, uh, many of you probably do, but... It's a story of Eric Little, this great Scottish runner, and uh, back in uh, you know earlier part of the first third of the 20th century, and and uh, his family business is missionarying to China. His family's going there. He's going to China. His sister's going to China. But he decides to put off going to China to do something frivolous, you know, like run in the Olympics, uh, represent his country. Now his sister's upset with him. Jenny's upset because she thinks he's getting a big head and all that. So he walks her out to explainify this to her one day after church, a outside of Edinburgh, the scene there. They walk up the hill and he says, Jenny, God made me for a purpose, you know, China. And she goes, oh, Eric, because she thinks that means he's going to get on the next boat going. He said, no, and some of you can quote this line. He said, no, but he also made me fast. When I run... I feel his pleasure. Holy cow. What an idea. God made me fast. So when I run and I'm that, I feel his pleasure. I, gang, I totally forgot where I was. My feet hit the floor. I sat straight up. The whole deck reshuffled behind me. I mean, I, you know, I'd grown up in church. I didn't even know that I could bring pleasure to God, I could keep him up nights worrying. Uh, you know, I knew how to do that. Uh, I knew how to, you know, make God, uh, you know, have to have to stay up late to watch but no, I didn't even know that was in the Bible. It's Psalm 149, verse 4, part A. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. Totally changed everything for me that I could bring a smile to the face of God like that. Now, let me tell you how susceptible I am to new ideas. When the movie was over that night, I went jogging. Now... Went out to the high school track, ran around a little bit. I can tell you, I did not feel God's pleasure. I tried for two years to run and feel God's pleasure. It never happened to me. Um, I, all I, What kept me going was visions of ice cream, you know, uh, when I got back to the house, you know, or something, so I could eat more. I've decided when I, when I eat, I feel his pleasure. So that's why, you know, buffets are just laugh-out-loud times for God. But, uh, but you know, there, there, the, the truth is there's stuff that when you do it, you go, hot dog, this is why I'm alive. I mean, you feel the wind in your sails. You feel like, you know, this, you, you are mostly wired in. Now, what kind of God would give you that kind of vision that kind of insight and say, "Uh, uh, uh, not too much of that now. (laughs) Sounds like the devil to me. Pay attention to the times and the situations where you feel most alive and, and figure out how you can do more of that because God's dream for you is that you actually live, not just get by but that your life, that eternal life, that quality of life that he has in mind for you would be a, an, an all-the-time experience. So figure out how you can do, You know, what are your strengths, what are your talents, how can you deploy those more, pay less rent, so you can get to do the stuff that you're really good at. It's so a fourth question, I just realized what time it is, but your introduction went on forever. I mean, I don't know. I, it's like a sermon. It was like a sermon. I mean, I mean, you, you sat through two messages now. Next week, you're free not to show up at all. <laughs> Mail in your money, though. All right, now, I just got to get to this real quick. I mean, the, the, the good news is I know less and less about these questions, so it'll fit just perfectly. If you don't figure out what makes you feel like you're winning on what you're doing to help others, you'll flame out. I mean, imagine how much fun it would be to unscrew the, the the goal off the backboard of basketball courts and just run up and down the court throwing the ball up against the backboard. I mean, that would be about as thrilling for maybe 35 seconds. But, you know, having that goal on the uh, you know on the backboard, folks do incredible stuff to get the ball through there. You've got to figure out the same thing. What... How do you know when you're winning? How do you know when you're scoring? Now i tell you, a friend of mine, Hank, went on a mission trip with his daughter. Hank grew up Roman Catholic. His, his church sent uh, teams to Central America about 25 years ago. Uh, I mean 20 years ago now. He went with his high school daughter down there, uh, fixed roofs, got totally taken with the idea, came back, took early retirement from his job. By the way, he was an IRS agent took early retirement from his job, and started homeworks. And I can tell you what Hank's scorecard is. To date, over 2,000 roofs have been fixed in my town from folks that couldn't afford it. Every time it rained, they just had to put out you know pots and pans or just let it run through the floor or whatever else. And he's had over 20,000 students help him do it because he kept that dream alive of what it meant for him to work with his own daughter helping that in, in Guatemala or wherever it was that they were, and he said, we're going to do the same thing. In fact, he has whole college teams come during spring break, during uh, winter break, and they, they work with you. See, I mean, it's fantastic stuff. Now, I've told Hank, you know, 2,000 roofs, 22,000 kids impacted by, oh, it's such a beautiful thing they do. They work all, all week on roofs, and then on Friday night, they fix a banquet. And uh, the the people, these kids, they fix a banquet and they serve the, the invited guests are the people whose home they have prepared, and they invite them as the guests to the banquet. It's, it is such a beautiful picture and story of the way we're supposed to be people of blessing, you know, to make a difference in the world. And I told Hank, two thousand folks, I mean, Ruth said twenty thousand since his Catholic background. I said, so Hank, you have earned exactly one minute out of purgatory. Um, <laughs> Because of that IRS stuff that you did to people for 30 years. I mean, you know, you're going to, have to pay a long time, bro. So, anyway. Now, I've been audited ever since I mentioned that to Hank. All right. Last thing. I, if you all quit interrupting, we can get through this. What do I need to learn? Because chances are there may be something you need to put into your backpack. Not just explore what's there. Maybe it's a new skill. Maybe it's a new insight. A friend of mine, Larry James, runs City Square. He took over this old ministry, had, uh, you know, it was a closed closet and food pantry, and had three volunteers that were mad at people, you know, for coming. Uh, you know, and, and it's now a $20 million a year deal involved in job training, immigration issues, uh, education, uh, food relief. Uh, just an incredible operation. And, uh, and one of the things that, that Larry uh, 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 you know, said, he, he, and he wrote a book, one of his new insights that enabled him to do what he's doing, and he wrote a book called The Wealth of the Poor. And what's enabled him to accelerate his impact is to realize that we think people, just because they don't have money, don't have other resources. But the folks have resource of skills and relationships and insights, and so we've got to be willing. When I talk about what are we willing to learn, it may be that we have to go on. You know, what are we willing to unlearn first? You know, and the learn unlearning curve is often steeper than the learning curve. What do we need to give up, maybe by way of biases or prejudices or how we think something should be done, in order to to be with people and to make a big difference? So, you know, I would just suggest. And it could be as simple as going back to a lady in, in uh, St. Louis, say, you know, I'm, I'm, I get what you're doing. I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm going after my master's in, um, in nonprofit leadership because I'm starting a 501c3. I made all the money I need to in, in real estate. And she says, that's what I want to give the next 15 years of my life to. You see, that, that's a smart way. What do we need to learn? All right, all right. I can't take any more of this. So, uh, and you, you can't either. So, one, one more story. Look at this pic uh, that uh, Cindy's putting up. Some of you will recognize this. For some of you, this is like ancient history. But this is the challenge. Uh, the, the, you know, the the Columbia crew that that disintegrated on reentry some years ago. The Last big, horrible disaster. And. Um, I didn't know, I don't know, didn't know any of these people, but I know the man who recruited every one of these folks into NASA. Harvey is, uh, was the head of personnel for NASA for 35 years, lives in Houston. And uh, Jesus follower, Lutheran member at Glory Day Church there. I saw Harvey about a year after this horrific tragedy. And, um... I said, Harv, how you doing? He just teared up immediately. He says, Reggie, I, I, cry, I still cry every day for these people, these astronauts. We're such a close family. He said, but one thing keeps me going. And he said, that's knowing that they died having had the opportunity to live their dream. That keeps me going. Well, we know now, of course, that from liftoff they were doomed. The O-ring disintegrated, what, eight seconds into the flight, three seconds in. didn't matter how long they were in space, whatever moment they dec- the, the clock was ticking, whatever moment they decided for re-entry, the, the, it, it was done. So they're on, they're on a fatalistic <laughs> countdown, even though they're unaware of it. Well, here's the last thought I want to leave you with today. A cheery thought. We're all doomed from liftoff. Now the ushers will come forward with the Prozac. Um, (laughs) But it is the truth. The clock is ticking. The question is not whether or not we're going to depart this life at some point. The question is are we going to live before we do it? (laughs) So I hope for your own sake and the sake of people here in your town that you'll get off your donkey you'll help somebody and help yourself that's called life thanks
1: yeah Usually everybody stands. <laughs> I personally am glad that's over. I it's the most nervous I've ever been with a guest speaker. Um, no, no, seriously. Um, when I when I hear you speak, Reggie, and I, I've read three or four of your books now, uh, what I leave with is what I hope. You're leaving with today and will continue to grow in and that is that god has has um designed an incredible exciting life for you and um my dream our dream uh, as its church leadership is that we can help you discover what some of that is and and that that uh, God will begin to reveal this to you because uh I think That many times the church has aided in keep tamping down dreams that God has put into the hearts and lives of of you and uh, people like you and uh, we can't do what needs to be done if you aren't infused with huge vision that God's created you to carry out so Again, I want to encourage those of you that want to uh, join us at 3 o'clock today. We're going to have a couple hours of, of training. We're going to talk about the, how the church can get involved in this and, and do some great things in God's kingdom. Just go to our website and sign up so we know that you're coming and who's coming with you and if you have children that need child care. Uh, we'll be done around 5 to 5.30, so you can go grab some dinner after that. But um, uh, Wow, thank you, Reggie. Thank you so much. Let me... Uh, Let me pray, and uh, I want to pray for you, and then we'll ask our ushers to come after that, and we'll receive an offering. And and don't listen to him. Come back next week. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. Lord, um, we have so muddied up things uh, as a church. The church at large in our country, And, Lord, you you are just not allowing that to happen. You are definitely stepping into this country and into the lives of people to change this. And, Father, I pray that we would not be defensive, but we would engage in what you're doing, Uh, that we would not be protective of your church. It's your church, Lord. We don't have to protect it. It's yours, and you can take good care of it, Lord, it's your kingdom that you've challenged us with. It's the people who will drive down this road thousands every day and never consider you because they don't know that you're there to help them to build their life. And I pray that you would teach us how to be kingdom people. Lord, right now I just pray for the person who walked in here today and very unsuspecting of what was said. And perhaps they don't have a relationship with you, Lord, but you love them just like you love the rest of us. In fact, you gave so much for them. And Lord, I just pray that even in this short time today, That there's somebody here who would say, I want this. I want Jesus in my life. And if that's that's you today, I just want you to just say yes to God. Just say yes. Lord, I, I want in. I want in, Jesus. I want in. Lord, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.